So for episode six, we are joined by the winner of the first ever ITU World Championship in Avignon in 1989, New Zealand Hall of Famer, and with 104 wins from 121 starts, it's safe to say one of the first legends of the sport of triathlon at large. Erin Baker, hello, and welcome to the World Triathlon Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Are those stats correct as far as you know, that 104? Well, I, as far I, as I know, you know, it's... Um, as far as I know they are, I think it was 104 or 106, but, you know, I don't know that it was something that I, you know, put on a calendar every single day. But, yes, it was something like that, pretty close. Okay, good. It's a, it's a good ratio, regardless. Yes, it was, yeah, it was quite good, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I suppose I'd like to know, really, when you first became aware of this, this kind of crazy new thing that people were calling triathlon and, and competing over over the three sports you know where where and when and how old were you when you first discovered it so just to start with i'll tell you i'm terrible with dates figures <laughs> well no not figures just dates and so i have a good recollection but the dates might not be i won't actually say them because they might be out by a year or two it's it's the same for my children's birthdays it's sort of like you know, it was that year or another year but I became aware of triathlon when I was living in Australia um, when I was in, the, uh, in my early 20s. So that made me in the early 80s. And that was um, just, it was it was around the beginning. New Zealand actually had a race. Um, and I was living in Australia at that time. And that was starting to have a few races, you know. And, uh, and I had generally been aware of it. And just, it's not maybe through TV. It was just through Maybe it was, a, you know, occasional mention of the Ironman triathlon or something. And so I was in Australia. I got decided it was time to get fit again. I had previously been a good but not great competitive swimmer, and I had been a good runner. And um, I thought, well, I'll just do, you know, that triathlon. I'll give it a go. And so that was around about 1983, I think. And I did an event uh, very close to Sydney where I was working and living at the time. And I won it and um, did a couple more that year and just sort of thought, well, this is, this is quite, you know, okay. I quite like it and it's helping me and, you know, getting fit again and and then became aware of a, an event in Australia that, which was an Ironman in Australia. It was called the Royal National. No, it was called um, Toys Great Lakes Triathlon. So I thought I would give that a go. It was an Ironman and I had $12,000 prize money so I thought, God, that's an enormous amount of money. But, you know, I've heard of these stars overseas and some of them were coming to Australia for that event and I entered and then won that. So that was sort of where it all really started. Right. And did you get a sense of, you know, the, the buzz that this new sport had when you were getting together for these events and so on? Um, you know, it, it's not often that you get to be in a situation where you can be at the very genesis of a of a sport right um you know at the very most people would have been doing it for for you know a decade or so um so did that yeah or, or less yeah yeah so did that no, bring I a... wasn't ever like that I'm completely different to just about every triathlete I've ever met um I I just I just take things as they come I don't reflect or dwell on things and when I'm done with them I move past them so I for whatever reasons at the time, I thought, yeah, oh, this is cool. And and I, the only thing I do remember is I've always been very work-orientated. So, you know, 
training hard and all that sort of thing was fine and normal. But more on the fact that you have to earn a living and you, you know, you do something to earn a living and it appeared that, that maybe I could do this and earn a living, which seemed like really cool because it was better than being inside all day. And um, it just probably enabled me to feel better about myself doing this sort of thing. And, you know, I, I don't know that I ever felt like, you know, I, I mean, I always just thought those people were great and would be better than – no, actually, I never thought they would be better than I. I've never also been like that. I was just like, well, everyone's got two arms, two legs, and I'm good at swimming and running, and I'm probably even better at biking. Um, and so, yeah, I'll just, I'll just be involved with this. And it just became a job for me. And that's probably the best way of describing it. Hmm. So yeah, you weren't sort of caught up in the in the furore around it. Um... No, I don't think. I mean, of course, it was nice, and I've, I had times, you know, I'd been flowing here and there, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that you know this was me living in this life, and sponsors, you know, signing me up with deals and money coming in, and you know, buying a house and. I remember going to buy my first house. It was only $64,000, but I was only 23. And, um, of course, the person took no notice of me whatsoever, the real estate agent. And they said, well, you know, got a deposit. And I was like, oh, I've only got $40,000 because I knew nothing. You know, and I got, well, shit, that'll be enough. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, I came from a, a small country and I, never got overly inflated by my ego of triathlon and um but it was really nice to think that you know I could spend a lot of the time I guess outside and that's also quite incredible that so early on in the sport as a very young person still um at the start of your career you were able to you know that there was that kind of prize money and that that a possibility to earn a career well that I guess was where I think I just wouldn't People talk about luck. I don't always say there is luck, but I was extremely fortunate. I think that was amazing, that there was prize money. And, yeah, and I got signed up by some excellent sponsors, and I don't think most people would have known that, and that I'd go to events, and not only was my accommodation and airfare paid for, but then I got money, and then I got bonus money. And I think that for a very, very long time, if not forever, I thought, this is extraordinary that, you know, I'm getting paid and getting paid well to do this when so many other people do all sorts of things. You know, my father was a, a labourer his entire life. And my mother worked hard. We had a big family. And, you know, that was the world I grew up in. And I just always felt this is unbelievably fortunate. And it was a fortunate time, I think. You know, it more fortunate than people might believe and um, lots of countries were starting to put on races and race directors and people that just loved it, you know, were putting money into these events and having events all over the place. I mean, you know, Zofingen and Switzerland and, you know, just, you know, people just, oh, please come and we'll pay you. It was, it was almost, you know, it was a little bit unreal. I suppose to be able to be the best in the world across three sports, I, to be the best in the world on any one of those sports would have been out of reach for quite a lot of the people competing, would it? But but put them together and suddenly, um, 
you can be a little bit older when you come to the sport. You don't have to be like incredible at just one thing and dedicating your life to it. Do you think that is true? Well, it was, I mean, it's an interesting thing because, you know, initially I think it was really perceived and, and certainly, you know, I would have thought of myself that, you know, I can do all three of these things pretty well, you know, and, um, you know, I've learned to swim well and I've, I've, you know, I didn't, I never represented New Zealand, but I was, you know, top three often and same with running. And so I think an interesting, you know, early on triathlon was perceived, you know, really good people, good athletes that weren't great at anything, but were good at everything. And there was certainly an, an element of that, but I think when push came to shove, you know, and it's, I'm only speaking in my own experience, but you can absolutely know it of, so many triathletes, you know, just look at, you know, all sorts of, you know, the, I'm hopeless of names because I don't really follow it that much, but there's been so many sensational athletes in triathlon that can compete at, at almost a world level, you know, in other sports, you know, I ran a 32.56, no, 32.38 10K on the track, but I actually did a 32.10 on the road. You know, I um, I beat the entire... U.S. Women's Olympic team at an event once of cycling, cycling. I mean, of course, they might not have been at their best. I'm not saying they were. But in the end, a lot of triathletes were exceptionally good at their sport. You know, I, and I, I can't name Olympian swimmers that came into triathlon. And maybe we weren't Olympian swimmers, but, you know, as, if we were swim, doing, you know, a marathon or, you know, 10Ks at the Olympics, maybe – but a lot of triathletes perhaps could have um, represented their countries at the Olympics. And I, I certainly feel, and it's not to blow my own trumpet, but now, I mean, I always, I, I, I never had a big head and I never felt I was that exceptional. But I know now, and I look back, and I, I certainly, if I concentrated on cycling, I could have represented New Zealand in cycling. And, you know, if I'd really maybe pushed it and not done triathlon and kept on running, but I probably wouldn't have kept on running if I hadn't done triathlon. I probably could have represented New Zealand at Olympic level at um, running, but not have won a medal, certainly in running. Um, so tr what I'm trying to say is, is triathlon, triathletes, there are a good, good few triathletes that certainly are Olympic level at sports with you know within the three triathlon codes so yeah it's not just you know average at everything anymore no of course um and just not to dwell on the, the money side of things but um to to fuse together i suppose those three what are universal sports into one you you can understand why it was a a bit of a sponsor's dream as well, right? And and a nice, it, it was the sort of perfect storm of of great events in great places with incredible athletes, and and the TV got on board very early on as well, right? So that it, yeah, it did. Yeah, I think you're right. It again, it was like the perfect storm at that time. It just was. It was, you know, it was between the 10k and the marathon scene in a way, and it was just, you know, it was it was exciting and. People looked good. I mean, television's all about what looks good. And, you know, people looked good in their swimming togs and, you know, ride, running, biking and swimming in their swimming togs. And 
it, it was, it, and you know, it was the TV channels actually did hook into it. You know, American, um, you know, the ESPNs of the world. You know, that that was pretty huge that they did that. And perhaps if you evaluate or want to evaluate the size of the sport at that time, that might have been punching above its weight, as they say. You know, so it was a perfect storm, and I was probably um, not as um, you know, there were people in the sport at the time that were really aimed at the Olympics and I was certainly not, didn't have the insight to see that early on and I think other people did. And that's probably also what sponsors saw and what the TV saw. Um, it certainly wasn't early on what I saw. Was that just because you didn't believe it could be or it was just not something that you that you were thinking about? It- just felt too far well, away. I think you know we were we were sort of doing a nice little thing that we were doing, and it was sort of your you know we were able to have our own sponsors and we were well, I didn't have agents but people did and you were flying around the world and you were, and I re- do remember this is for me personally I'm not talking about others I do remember when there was just starting to get into the first and, and maybe the Avignon event actually that the countries were starting to go actually. You know, you're representing your country now, and we will tell you what to do. And I've never been a conformist, and I thought, hmm, well, you know, I've got Lecoq Sportif, and I've got Look, and I've got other sponsors, and you know, they're the ones that pay me, mates. You know, I I don't know if I'm going to, you know, if you want me to compete for you, I'm not necessarily going to, you know, just wear your, you know, generic black uniform. And so maybe it was just... Um, I didn't see it on the timeline of which I was in. And so it was like, no, nah, I don't you know, really care. And, uh, of course, a young person would have maybe looked at triathlon who was, say, just say someone who's 12 or 8, 15, and thought, wow, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if that was in the Olympics one day? But that was certainly not how I perceived it. And, you know, people might say now, would you, you know, wish you'd gone to the Olympics? It, it, it did, I mean, it would, to be perfectly honest, it would have nice been nice to go to the Olympics to just sort of see how it all goes, because I've never been to the Olympics. But I've never felt any regret that I didn't. And, and was there a bit of a feeling then about a, a, a tussle between what was a fiercely independent sport that had kind of grown up without any outside help, and then whether it was like the, the New Zealand National Federation or, or the sort of prospect of a world governing body was there a sort of did you get were you involved or, or get a feeling of that like political tussle and being used sometimes maybe as a pawn in that well I I was just a little bit probably ignorant and arrogant of it and you know I, I wasn't particularly compliant with people like Les McDonald who Les had obviously had an agenda to get everyone to the Olympics and and of course that was a great agenda but it wasn't my agenda so I was a little you know, if you if you know, you look back on your life and you think, well, you know, where could I have done better? Um, maybe I would say, yes, I, those people um, had a better vision than me. I, I had a vision of what I was doing in the sport and that, you know, that was good and I enjoyed the people and the, all that. And the people. But other people, you know, um, gazumped me and had a better vision. And thank goodness they did, really. Um that's what needed to happen and else you know maybe it would have become a sport that just sort of fizzled on by um so i i'm pleased for the les mcdonald's and what they did 
but at the time I would say I wasn't very compliant with it. I was like, well, you know, we're already here and we're already doing really well and we've really got great sponsors already and why would I, you know, let down one of my great sponsors who pays my bills and just put on, you know, a silver fern. Mm. And um, so that is the realities of, you know, I guess the whole international, you know, sporting arena these days. Yeah. Like you said, the in hindsight, there's no doubt that the sport needed a Les McDonald to just keep banging on those doors and keep pushing it and have that vision. Um, and another element of his agenda that you obviously did agree with was the equality in the sport that was also, you know, dovetailed with the Olympic uh, philosophy incredibly tightly as well and was just, I mean, apart from that it's just in, important for, for any sport in general Yeah, and I also think and I, I'm i not one again to, you know, swing my own accolades but we, you know, it was time and place and I was a strong, stroppy woman even though I didn't well, I didn't know I was a stroppy woman, I didn't know I was a strong woman and and I was surrounded by other women that I really thought were good women. And we were a little bit fortunate, I feel. You know, I know in Europe there didn't seem to be a problem with paying women the same. And I th- think that even though I'm sure I've probably forgotten a few of the struggles, and there were, there was definitely a few. I mean, there were events I didn't go to and um, because of the different prize money, etc. But I think... Triathlon was reasonably progressive in that area, you know, and when you look nowadays to, you know, women's soccer or rugby or netball or sports and all sorts, it's still not, you know, up there. And I think that triathlon has done pretty well. Um, we did have women that, you know, pretty much held their ground, but they also had some women, you know, that people wanted to see and were prepared to pay for to come, you know, there were some interesting women in the sport, and you know the Puntus twins were, you know, and a good example of that. And so triathlon, you know, was a, maybe I probably, I would never have hung around. I pretty much think if it had a huge variation in what men and women's worth was perceived as, and I think triathlon has kept that very well in comparison to many sports. And it didn't have the the baggage of history. You know, it's another fortunate. Uh, consequence of being a new sport right and and growing up equally men and women at the same time and therefore it was able to be part of the dna of the sport from the start yeah totally i mean you only have to look you know women do ironman women do sprints you know i didn't have any of that problem with you know marathons where you know pull women off the course because you shouldn't do a marathon or women's tennis even where you know women only do three sets you know women did ironman women did sprints it was just that was what you did it wasn't think oh god you can't do that and still, given all of that, that you must have had a sense of that first World Championships being an incredible moment for the sport and the, seeing your, yourself on that start line for the first time, you can't have helped but get caught up in that, surely? Oh, no, and it was pretty huge in many ways because it wasn't just that it was, you know, the first official triathlon World Championships or, you know, Olympic distance, whatever it would be called now. Um, but it also was because it was in France, and you've got to remember Le Coq Sportif had supported me and, you know, made my life, really, um, for four or five years before that. So it was 
it was a lot. It was also an enormous amount of pressure um, because, you know, New Zealand media had taken a lot of notice of me by then. Um, I was probably the favourite-ish to win. It was Lecoq's Sportif put enormous resources into it, i.e. I'm sure they sponsored it. I know they had tons of people there from the company and it was sort of like, so it was it was a pretty big pressure. Um, and, uh, but I, I did, you know, there's no doubt I, we all knew that, you know, this was, it was a bit hard because it was the first official yet, you know, we had been to a couple of other world championships where they were world championships, they'd been called that, and more importantly, they were world championships by the people that attended. Mm. Like it wasn't like no one was there. You know, we were racing, you know, um, the best. You know, that was a world championship in Perth prior to that where I can't remember anyone, man or woman, who didn't go to that event who was, who was you know, the best in the sport. And then the same um, in Kelowna, Canada. So Yeah, so this is very much the first ITU World Championships and Olympic yes. distance. Yes, quite. yes. <laughs> so it was, don't get me wrong, it was it was very, very, it was special, and it, it, but it was, you know, as I said, it was also an enormous, it was an enormous thing for me. It was enormous because it was everything, New Zealand, New Zealand team, New Zealand pressure, New Zealand uniform, New Zealand media, the Cox Sport team, you know, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you can, obviously, we can watch that first World Champs back on Triathlon Live now. It's still, you know, it's still one of the very well-watched videos. Um, <laughs> I mean, crossing that finish line, you look so business-like, the aviator shades. Um, the finish line itself looks like absolute chaos. <laughs> what, were your, <laughs> what were your kind of clearest memories of, of that? Yeah, I, I do actually remember a bit of that, to be honest. Yeah, basically that, just... Look, whatever I was wearing, it was meant to be what it was meant to be, and I would have made sure it was. But it's always been business for me. Business is, you know, like I'd done my job. I'd won for New Zealand, probably first, to be honest. I probably thought I've won for my sponsor, you know. Um, and then I've won for New Zealand, and I've done the job. It's, goodness me, it's over. <laughs> and um, But, yeah, it was, a, you know, it was, I can do, I, I think, because at that stage I could speak a little bit of French or maybe or maybe not. But probably said the wrong words. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it's. I it more, you know, more. I remember, you know, um, there was a woman, Jan Scott. Will know who she is, and she was. No, her daughter became enormous, fabulous swimmers. Um, she was an, a, a US athlete, and her daughter Ripple. And I thought, what the hell is she doing with me on the bike? Because she was not the one that's meant to be, and I'm thinking, you know, this is not the plan. I remember that. I remember that part of it most. Hmm. And then she ran with me for a few k on that run. I'm like, you know, get out of here, girl. This is not what you're meant to be doing. This isn't. You're not up here with me on the run. I remember that more, to be honest. Um, but then I do now that you're talking about it. Think, you know, it was it was it was a big moment, and um, but also a moment that really I've like done the job. Fantastic. Now I can go home. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you said it was obviously a career and a great way to, to earn a living. Did, and you know, the, the career pathway is a huge part of any athlete's progression in, in any sport. Did you, and of course the sort of sponsorship landscape for athletes today is very different, I would imagine. But did you approach, 
were you very proactive in in that in the search for Lacoste Sportif? Did they come to you? Can you remember, uh, you know, putting yourself out there and making it making these kind of companies aware that that you were the sort of athlete no, that I, they should be tying I in was, with? No, I was very fortunate. Again, I was it 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 actually came to me, and that was enormously surprising. I, I went to Europe because a um, very good friend that he helped coach me, John Hallerman, said, you've got to come to Europe. And he 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 must have rung somebody, a company called Koga Mayata, and they're like, we'll, we'll pay for your ticket. And um, I was going to stay with him. And I just trained in Europe, and I did a few races, um, and they, Koga Mayata obviously gave me a bike. I think they were actually Japanese, maybe Dutch company, whatever. You know, it was there was some Dutch link in there, hmm. and um, I started doing races in, in Europe and winning most of them. And um, and then I really got, you know, it sounds silly, and it was, but it was ridiculously true. Headhunted by Lecoq Sportif, I was blown away that this car was basically like the black Mercedes with two men in a cell phone, which I don't think I think it was the first one I'd ever seen. In the you know maybe by 85 or something or, or earlier, and um, they tracked me down. I, they must have said they were coming, but I don't know how. And they, I was staying in a farmhouse in Holland, and they said, yep, we want to sponsor you, and, you know, we want to bring you to Paris, and we want to sign up this deal with you. And um, I was, uh, you, you know, really, really. And it was all stars and bells and whistles. It was incredible. And um, they said, oh, and by the way, we, we want to also get you another sponsor and we'll find it, and but you'll get the money. And that's the truth. And they got a company called Look, Lovey Care Look. And I was like, really? This is ridiculous. And I just totally couldn't believe it. And I walked out of this Paris hotel, having been flown there and signed this huge contract. And people won't believe me, but I, I, I tried to. I, I asked for money that I thought someone had told me I should ask for, but it was a hell of a lot more than they said I should ask for. I mean, we're not talking hundreds of thousands, but it was a lot of money. And they said, yep, that's fine. And I walked out of this hotel room, and I didn't know what to do, um, this meeting. And I went walked down the shop, and I saw like a, I don't know, East St. Laurent shop or, a, you know, Gucci. And I thought, I've got to go and buy something. So I went and bought a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> and I was just blown away by it. And, you know, you know, from then on, and because I was, you know, obviously reasonably good in winning races, I really, I never had a manager. Um, we got an agent um, little for a little while, um, but it, it was only at my latest stages of my career that probably an agent was needed more. You know, as you're getting along in the tooth, and all the young ones are coming up, and but I never had to fight and send out resumes and CVs and. Um, so I was, yeah, the only CV I ever ever sent out was to Air New Zealand, and my first ever race when I wanted to go to the race in Australia, the Tui's Great Lakes, and I said, "Would you give me an airfare to go to Australia?" And they did. Wow, <laughs> great! And yeah. none of those sponsors were ever uh, did you know that kind of you were outspoken, you had a certain sort of maverick spirit about you. Were they? You're certainly not. I presume someone who thinks that athletes should sort of stick to sport and have no no voice about matters of the world no no I, I was never like that and I remember early on that we because of situations in New Zealand there was always that you know athlete was they say sport and politics don't mix well it was sort of like 
ingrained in me because of my mother and other things well you know there's no exception in the world just because you're an athlete that you know you don't get involved in the real world so no and um so I did speak out and I'm sure I, you know if I look one day it would have been lovely to speak to these people that give, gave me these sponsorships and looked after me because yeah I you know I, I didn't compete sometimes one year I just said I'm not going to Hawaii I want to do the Chicago Marathon and they must have thought what the hell is she, you know, we're paying her. And, you know, like Cox Bortif, you know, I was, I, I refused to go to certain events. I didn't go to South Africa because of issues there. Um, I didn't do Nice one year because they wouldn't pay equal prize money to the men and the women. Well, they were giving a car to the first person that crossed the line, which was obviously not only the woman. So I, you know, again, I feel fortunate that, I didn't even probably realise how many times people could have dropped me and gone, you know, you you need to stay in line here, girl. <laughs> but most of the time they didn't. And I, I suppose maybe the, that all lent itself to, to creating that air about the sport that Les obviously certainly embodied as well, right? That kind of abrasive get on and, and sort of, yeah, a fierce independence. Yeah, well, hopefully it has. It, it, yeah, and that's maybe how it has it developed in, in, in that you know side of it because um, certainly it was how I was. But there were other you know women and people around me and men even, I shouldn't say even, you know, that were. So I suppose if you start from a position of normality, you know, even though it's quite high up the scale, you, you didn't realise it. You, you just don't drop down. You just don't, oh, well. No, okay, well, I, you know, I won't do that because I'm not allowed to do that. But if, you know, it, as I said, I think I think triathlon was very pretty progressive in the scheme of things and not just the, you know, the distances or the, the, the sponsorship and the prize money and that it was a pretty progressive sport and we were probably all more fortunate than we ever knew. <laughs> And were the the sort of rivalries and the relationships also fairly fiery back then? I mean, I don't know if the fact that you felt freer to to be yourself and speak your mind, and maybe there's a a feeling that today's athletes are a little bit more mild and worried about what you know social media might say, or when someone like Nick Kyrgios is is flagged up as you know the kind of wild child of sport now and you know he's not really yes. let's be honest it's it's not doing anything yeah. like he's not pushing the envelope too far yeah we were no I think for me in particular because of my personality type you know I would have got into so much trouble with all of this you know with the the, the social media side of things and you know how everything's everything's jotted everything you know everybody knows everything you've said and done and you know, I, I mean, I don't cope with it at all. I do none of it. I do no, nothing, nothing. Facebook, Twitter, whatever else there is, I do none of it. Um, and to have been critiqued more than I was, and, and I could have, you know, and I would have been, I don't know actually how I would have coped with that. Um, I think that it's such an enormous part of the whole the whole deal of being an athlete now that it has another, you know, it's another compartment that you have to develop and um, hopefully, you know, cope with. So I'm thank goodness that was not my time because that probably could quite quickly have been my swift ending. Must be nice to uh, be able to have avoided all social media like that. Yeah, it's a it's a strange world out there. 
yeah, yeah. No, I, I spent my I was on a, a call recently. Um, everyone's and uh, people are going, well, you know, you Facebook this and do this and that, and I'm like, nope, mm. I have no interest <laughs> in whatsoever in knowing what people have for breakfast. And it was yeah. just like, you know, it's. It's it's yeah I don't again I don't know how I, I, I was very fortunate that it didn't need to be part because I think it's expected now of, of athletes it's expected that they do this and I think it might be quite time consuming at times. Absolutely, but also you can it's an amazing way to <clears throat> have your voice reach far and wide if you have a something like equality or a campaign like that that you that you need to get out there you know that there is the flip side of it isn't there I guess. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I'm sure there is, but I think that what even now in this, you know, I'm nearly I'll be 60 next year, and it still it absolutely amazes me. Um, my husband Scott will you know, show me something that some article or something, something or some interview, something, something that's been pulled up from 20, 30 years ago, and I'm amazed that that is there. I can't remember, of course, but amazed. So it's 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 a it would be daunting. I think it should be daunting for people to think what people may be able to bring up about you, and you know, when you're 60 or when you've got, mm. you know, grandkids or you know, um, look. Hopefully, it all works out. But you know, if there's this much that people can remember about me, it's uh, it's a hundred or a thousandfold now, and you know, you, you just so much that can be taken the wrong way and a photo that can be misconstrued or a comment taken out of text. You know, it's just hopefully most people don't think about that every single day because it could be daunting. Yeah, and I suppose that a career is is documented now, whether you're a world champion or or not. You know, like you say, there are in previous generations where there wasn't obviously there were cameras and newspapers and so on but do you when you look back on your achievements and for so many sports people whether the, whether they accomplish greatness or not when you reach you know you're you're turning 60 later in the year you you've your career has moved on to something completely different um does it feel surreal to look back and think of yourself doing that or is it still very much a part of you and who you are um it, it doesn't feel surreal it's uh, it feels like yep you know that was you know really nice and I I need to um it's actually only doing interviews like this that makes me realize yep I need to just go yeah that was that was fun you know that was really neat and that was you know a special time and it was um because it's not really how I work you know as I said at the beginning I'm I've always called myself clinical, which is harsh in a way, but I just I just moved to the next. You know, I've loved my career that I've had since, and it would be hard for me to say which career I enjoyed the most. And so this career that I'm in now is probably, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, winding that up at some point shortly, and I'll just be thinking then what's next. I, I've just, I'm just not a dweller, and I... Whether it's something, you know, some psycho psychologist would want to get into my brain and work out. Um, I just don't do the big dwell on, think about, wish it was. Mm. You know, I just don't do it. So um, that's how I am. So you wouldn't say you miss the sport, despite however incredible that feeling of 
winning and that buzz of getting that world title, those world titles. I can tell you, I never missed the sport. I was, it to me was a wonderful job that I felt the pressure of it every single day, and it was a great pressure. I my nightmares now are about me being in a race or being at a start line. Wow. It's so odd. It's like I can't believe, you know, it's you know, you wake up and you oh, you're in this dream of having to do a race and they are my nightmares and it's not trying to say that I didn't love it at the time, but I just tried to do it all so incredibly well and I put so much into it that I think I can't believe that I had that much energy. Um, and especially as you get older, you just think, oh, in your dream, how could I ever do that? So no, I I don't I didn't miss this I don't miss the sport I didn't miss the sport I only ever did one other triathlon really after the sport and it was for completely different reasons just to help out a friend and um, I still love the events of the sport um, but it was never it was no dwelling I wish I was still doing it I wish it wasn't and my hu- husband told me as soon as I met him or very soon after that there's only two ways of getting out of sport you either go out injured like most or you choose when you're going to go, and you that's that's probably the better way to be, and, and it has been for me, I'm sure. And it was just time to get out of it, done my thing, loved it, did good. Now I'm on the way out, it's time to go. Mm. And there was no uh, sort of black hole for you when you shut when you did shut the door. Obviously, you even you were able to keep a, a hand in the sport with Scott um, and so on. But was was that next career progression nothing to do with sport at all? Nothing. I actually, I mean, my next career, you know, I think women ha- can have it, and other women will hate me for saying this. You know, I, I went straight to have, I wanted to have a family, and I had a family, and so that was a, a nice ease out, if, you know, not easy out, but it was, I had plenty to fill my days, and I loved doing that, even though, you know, Scott also did a ton of that. But um, then I went into politics, which I didn't like, so I got out of that. No, I never had that, you know, I didn't have that, yeah, that needing or yearning to be back there, and I know an enormous amount of, of people do. And you know, I I'm one of the few people I know that you know really makes never made a cent or a living, or tried to make a cent or a living out of triathlon from the moment I left. You know, I didn't try to get sponsors to keep sponsoring me or companies to keep giving me product or people to bring me to an event. I just was like, done, deal, thanks very much, bye. Mm. And um, I was, I, you know, it's, it's my personality, I think. Yeah, but you and Scott have worked together doing children's camps and so on, haven't you? We, uh, yeah, we did the Kiwi Kids Triathlon, and that was a business opportunity, and I, I knew that that was something in business we could do well, you know, and so it was our, it was a business. We did the whole thing. He did a lot of the, the grunt work. I did a lot of the logistics and yeah, that that was good. I, and that's you know, I I actually forgot about that. And so that was that was nice, and that was nice for kids, you know. And I guess because it, it was kids, I could do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would want to have put on races for adults, because kids are always happy when adults complain, you know. So that that was really fun, and we did that until that got basically too big. It, it became huge. The King Kids Triathlon in New Zealand, you know. Once we started having two or three thousand kids, you know, on the in one race on one day, and mm-hmm. 
it was it was really good when Sanitarium New Zealand Company took that back over and um, did it themselves. It was it became a huge beast and is still doing marvelously well. Yeah, I we did a video with Tyler Reed a little while ago. He was wearing a Wheat Bix cap. Was it? <laughs> were they? They were your sponsor, right? Or the big? One that was it. They still are. I mean, Wheat Bix is a, a cereal yeah. of a, a company called Sanitarium. So the Wheat Bix Kiwi Kids Triathlon must have been going now for. Well, my kids were babies, or one was a baby. So like nearly twenty-four or so, twenty-five years. Wow, brilliant! Yeah, and that was mm. you set that up. In its original form. Well, I, I would I, I, I think a bit of you know, there was actually another guy that had done one event and he he hadn't maybe done it as well as Sanitarium wanted. And so I put my nose in there with Scott and said we could do this well. So I won't take full credit for it. We certainly, you know, changed it and got it bigger. But um, and we we were we're the ones pretty known for growing it. But um, there was another one person that started with the idea in New Zealand of doing kids triathlons. So I want to take the whole credit for it. Well, really, many thanks. Lovely to talk to you. No problem whatsoever. Thanks uh, for persevering. And obviously our listeners can head to TV and watch back uh, that incredible first race from Avignon. <laughs> we'll look like we're 150 in it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, great. Well, thanks a lot, Erin. Take care. You're welcome. Cheers. Bye. Bye.